All right. Well, once again, uh, I want to begin our study tonight uh, on Joshua 22 with a map. And so if you'll look on the screens, what I've got is I've got a map here. And what I want you to see is I want you to see the Jordan River. Uh, because we've talked about this before, the Jordan River is very, very important. And on this map, if you'll notice, you've got the west side of the Jordan River. And then on the east side, of course, you've got Nazareth, Jericho, Jerusalem. The, the promised land is everything over here uh, on, on, the, on the west side. And uh, over on the, the other side, the east side, that is where the two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh chose to be. Don't forget that. They chose that land. And if you'll remember, they chose with their eyes. They looked at the land and said, ooh, this land would be good for our cattle, so we'll just take this land. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Uh, so I wanted you to see this map so that you could have a good idea of the Jordan River. And if you'll notice, uh, it runs all the way from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. So this is an incredible river. Uh, It's an incredible stretch of land. Uh, And as you see tonight in Joshua 22, uh, it plays a very big part uh, of of Scripture. So um, Joshua has some parting words. He's going to give some parting words to these two and a half tribes because they have done what they were uh, supposed to do. They've done what they pledged to do. And now they're about to be going back home. But not only will we see parting words, uh, we're going to see the parting waters. Because this, this river, the Jordan River, it's going to separate these tribes. N- not just in land, but in fellowship and relationship. Uh, there's going to be separation here. And uh, so that's really what Joshua 22 is all about. It's about Joshua thanking them for doing what they said they would do, uh, for being honorable, but it's also um, goodbye. And uh, again, as you'll see, that that's not always a good thing. So Joshua 22, what I want to do is I want to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to break this down into passages. I'm not going to read every scripture tonight, but I'm going to read as much as I can, and we'll discuss all of it, okay? So Joshua 22, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. So this is a, a beautiful passage of Scripture. Uh, what we see is we see great leadership. We've already seen great leadership in Joshua, but, but we see great leadership here. Uh, Joshua, um, he, he not only you know, talked a good talk, he walked a good walk. And that's what we see 
in these first six verses. These are the, the parting words, if you will, uh, from Joshua to the two and a half tribes. So first of all, we see that Joshua commended them. He commended them. Uh, the two and a half tribes made a promise to Moses. Then later they made a promise to Joshua that they would remain with the army and remain in the army until the land of Canaan was conquered. And so Joshua pointed out their faithfulness and their obedience. Matter of fact, his very words were, you have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. And so he's commending them. He's thanking them for being faithful to God and for serving the way they have. But we also notice that Joshua challenged them. And that's another great thing about a leader. A leader is not just going to pat you on the back all the time. A leader is going to pull you up close and remind you of what matters and what's important. And so Joshua challenged the two and a half tribes. He challenged them, if you noticed, with the Word of God. That's what he did. He challenged them with the Word of God. He wanted them, especially since they were parting, right? Since they were separating, he wanted them to walk in the ways of God, to walk in the Word of God, to walk in His commands, to be faithful to God, and to be obedient to God. And so we see him say thank you. We see him commend the tribes, but we also see him challenge the tribes, and I think that's very important. And then lastly, we see that Joshua blessed the tribes. Okay, He blessed them. Generally, the blessing was a duty of the priest. We've already seen that. It, it, when it comes to the blessing, it's usually the, the father, right, the head of the household, or in a corporate setting, it's the role of a priest. But we've also seen in Scripture that leaders can bless the people as well. And so that's what Joshua was doing. If you'll notice, I didn't read the verses, but in verses 7 and 8, Joshua, uh, he blesses, with, blesses them with the spoils, right? Uh, the spoils of conquest. He said, take some of the herds, take some of the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, the, iron, the clothing. Uh, that's what he tells them in verses 7 and 8. So it's not like he's sending them on their way with nothing, right? He, he's sending them on their way with gratitude. He's commended them. He's sending them on their way with a challenge. Hey, don't forget God. Don't forget His Word. Walk with God. Walk in the Word. Obey the Word. And He's sending them away with blessing. Right? So He's He's putting something uh, in their hands to take with them home. Now, if you keep reading in, in verses ten through twelve, th- this is where it gets a little a little tricky. Okay, uh, this is where lack of communication hurts both tribes. Before crossing the Jordan, the two and a half tribes built a massive altar on the west side. Okay? So if you'll remember the map I showed you, over here on the west side, it would be my right, your left, but on the west side, that's the promised land. You saw Jericho, Jerusalem, Nazareth. On the east side, that's where Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that's where they were going. They were crossing the Jordan. But before they crossed the Jordan, on the west side, in the promised land, they built an altar. And this altar, uh, as you'll see in Scripture, it was a replica of the one altar that, that was already built. Okay, So this was, this was troubling to the Israelites. And when I say the Israelites, I'm talking about the other tribes, okay? 
Dan and Asher and Naphtali and Judah and all of those tribes. And so this was a troubling thing. Um, perhaps it was because uh, of the choice they made long ago when they decided, hey, we'll just take this land. We don't need to go across the Jordan. This is good for us. As a matter of fact, um, you've heard me quote Dr. Warren Wearsby a lot. I, I love Dr. Wearsby. I love his commentaries. Listen to what he said in his commentary. He said, there's no question that Canaan was God's appointed land for all of his people. Anything short of Canaan was not what he wanted the people to have. The two and a half tribes made their decision long ago, not based on spiritual values, but based on material gain. For the land east of the Jordan was ideal for raising their cattle. And so, in my own words, what I like to say as far as the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they settled. That's what they did. They settled for what they saw rather than expecting what God promised. And again, that's my words, that's my opinion. I believe they settled before they ever even saw, before they ever even crossed the Jordan. They went, this is good for us. We'll take this. And they weren't thinking about the promise that God made all the tribes of Israel. And so because of what happens here in verses 10 and 12, or 10 through 12, they built this altar, not on their side, right? Not on the east side. They built it on the west side. And so you can understand why the, the other tribes, the Israelites, were concerned about this. As a matter of fact, you say, how concerned were they? Well, the entire assembly of Israel was ready to wage war because of this. Think about that for just a second. Joshua says, thank you for a job well done. Don't forget God. Don't forget His Word. Walk in His Word. Be obedient. And by the way, I want to bless you with the spoils of conquest. So think about that. Sometime in between Joshua saying these things and them getting to the river and building this altar, now the whole, if you'll read it, the entire assembly, that means the entire nation, they're ready to go to war with their brothers and sisters. This this is a big deal, right? This is something that's very, very important. And again, what I want you to see in these first 12 verses is a lack of communication. That's really what it is. It's a lack of communication. There was no communication. I don't even want to say it wasn't clear communication. There was no communication as far as this altar being built. They decided themselves, we're going to build this altar. We're going to make a replica. It's going to look just like the one that's already in Israel. And here's the thing. They knew what God's Word said. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But in Deuteronomy... There was only to be one altar of worship. And it was in the sanctuary that God appointed. They knew that, okay? But we don't see any communication between these two and a half tribes and what they're doing with Israel in their land. And so that's the problem. If you want to look at Joshua 22 and say, what's the problem? That's the problem. They built an altar on the west side and they're going to the east. So what does that mean? Well, here we go. Joshua 22, beginning in verse 15. Look at what God's Word says. It says, When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, 
The whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? So before I go any further, what did the Israelites that lived in the promised land, what did they assume, right, in their minds about their brothers and sisters, the other two and a half tribes? What's the word? Rebel. Thank you. They basically said you're rebelling against God. What you, you built an altar, right? And, and, and you're rebelling against God. So they assumed rebellion. They assumed you know what God says and you're going exactly against God. You're rebelling against God. Listen, that's as harsh of a word as they could have used, right? So if you look at it again in, in verse 16, right? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion? against him now. Look at verses 17, 18, 19 as we keep going. Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Up to this day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? If you rebel, there's that word again, right? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. So, so think about what they're saying, right? What you're doing impacts who? All of us. And so you can see just how concerned they are, right? Verse 19, if the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us but do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. Look at verse 20. When Achan, and if you'll remember that, we, we've studied that passage already. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. So what's happened here is the whole assembly was ready to go to war with the two and a half tribes. And listen, uh, it would have been a wipeout. It would have been a wipeout. If all of the other tribes and their army had gone against the, the army of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, it would have been a wipeout. They would have wiped them out. There's no doubt. Uh, from a numerical standpoint, from a supply standpoint, um, they would have wiped them out. And so can you imagine had they not had this conversation, if they would have just got mad and said, we ain't had it, let's go kill them, they could have done that. They could have done that. They could have shed their own family's blood. But what we see here is we see that the other tribes of Israel first wanted an explanation. That's what they wanted. They wanted an explanation from Reuben, from Gad, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. Uh, in essence, they were asking, what have you done? Why have you done it? <laughs> and why would you rebel against God? I mean, that's if I had to shorten the conversation, they really want three answers. What have you done? Why have you done it? And why would you rebel against God? That, that's what they want to know. And, and so the other tribes of Israel, these, these other tribes... They reminded them, right, the two and a half tribes, of past sins. And if you, you heard me, there were two past sins they brought up. 
So the sin of Peor was the first one they brought up. The sin of Peor was when the people worshipped Baal and they intermarried with the Moabites. Okay? They participated basically in harlotry with the Moabites. Now, if you're wondering where that's found, that's found in Numbers 25. If you want to make yourself a note, that's in Numbers 25. And so when, when, when Phileas and, and the leaders bring this up, they're saying, hey, don't forget what happened when we rebelled against God in Peor, right? And there was a plague on our whole community because of it. Then they bring up the sin of Achan. That's the second sin. If you'll remember, Achan was told, actually all of them were told, hey, go in, wipe these people out, but do not touch the devoted things. The sacred things that belong to God, don't touch them. Well, what did Achan do? Does anybody remember? Yeah, he, 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 he took them, and not only that, he hid them, right, in his tent, underground, under his tent. And if you'll remember, when they went out to battle the next day, what happened? They lost because God would not honor them because they did not honor God. Not only that, was Achan the only one to die? Nope. All of his family and every animal, everything that belonged to Achan was dead. And so these Israelites are bringing up these sins. This is a serious thing that they've done. Building an altar, right, that looks like the one altar that's in the tabernacle, that's in the sanctuary, um, that they're not supposed to do. And so, if you want to know this, in Deuteronomy 12 and Leviticus 17, that's where we see that there was to only be one altar of sacrifice and worship, and it was to be in the sanctuary that God appointed. And, and so, they're, they're looking at Scripture, they're looking at the commands of God, and they're saying, you know what? You're not doing what God said to do. And remember, what was one of the things Joshua did? He challenged them to what? Be in God's word. And not just be in God's word, but to do what? Obey it with all of your heart. And right off the bat, it looks like, right? And don't, don't get me wrong. It looks like they're disobeying. It looks like they're rebelling against God. And I say that because looks can be deceiving, right? It can be deceiving. Again, it all comes down to communication or lack of. And so the Israelites, what I, what I do want to point out here about the Israelites, because you heard me earlier, they could have just went right in and said, put your gloves on, it's time to duke it out. They, they could have just said, it's fighting time. But what happened was the Israelites wisely questioned the two and a half tribes before attacking them. That, that was wisdom that they wisely questioned them. Uh, Dr. Wearsby, once again in his commentary, uh, he says, while the Transjordanic tribes had been very sincere. Now, when, and that's a term, by the way, if you ever see that term Transjordanic tribes, it's talking about the two and a half tribes. The Transjordanic are the tribes on the east side, which would be Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. So I don't want to confuse you. So Dr. Wearsby says, while the Transjordanic tribes had been very sincere in what they did, their actions were misunderstood because they did not communicate. And the other tribes were ready for war. But wisely, the Israelites waited while an official delegation investigated what was going on. And so again, from Dr. Wearsby's commentary, from his point of view, um, he sees that this was wisdom. 
the Israelites used wisdom before they just ran off and attacked. They said, hey, let's go talk to them and find out. How, how many of you uh, have failed in that area before? Right? <laughs> I read that and went, man, I wish I acted in wisdom a whole lot more. Because there are many times in my life where I don't question. I, I let the assumptions be my truth. When in reality, the assumptions are not truth, right? Sometimes I go by what I see rather than digging in and finding out the truth. And so I, I don't want to miss that. We, we do see wisdom here, and we do see truth and understanding. As a matter of fact, I, I've shared with you so far all of Israel on the west side and what they're thinking. Now let's hear from the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 21. It says, Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of clans of Israel, The Mighty One, God, the Lord. The Mighty One, God, the Lord. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. Notice that the first thing they do is they call on God. That's very important. I'll get to that in just a moment. So they say, He knows... And let Israel know, if this had been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear. And and here's where it gets a little tricky, okay? Here's why they built the altar. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us. Notice what they're saying. What they're saying is the separation that we are experiencing is because of who? The Lord. Notice that. Don't forget that. It says, the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings and sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you, and the generations that follow, that we will worship the Lord at His sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. Listen, this this is a beautiful conversation. And I'm glad that it's a conversation recorded because it, it could have just been the other tribes of Israel went in and wiped out the two and a half tribes. And I'm, I'm thankful that it's not that. But we find out that we find out that sins from the past that haven't been dealt with can come back and be a real problem. That's what we find out. Now, don't miss this. Their intent was pure, right? Their intent, they were not trying to offend God. They were not 
being offensive to God on purpose, okay? They were not trying to offend their brothers and sisters, the other tribes of Israel. Um, as a matter of fact, I want to go back to the beginning and how they started the conversation. In response to the, the questions they've been asked, the two and a half tribes used three names of the Lord, okay? And if you've been a part of our connected family on Wednesday nights, let me just show you how God's, God works, right? Because it's three names that we've covered. First of all, they use the name El, E-L, which means the mighty one, the strong one. The second name they used is Elohim, which means our strong creator God. And then they also used that beautiful name Jehovah, which also means Yahweh. It's our relational God. It's Father God. And so... Um, what they're saying is, we know our God, we know the one we serve, and he knows us. And now you will know. Um, when they used this terminology, when they started out their conversation this way, what they were doing was they were making an oath. Okay? They were making an oath. They were saying, God hears us, God knows us, and now you hear us, and you know us. And so this was an oath they were making between their, their brothers and sisters. And so this altar, as they explained it, as you hear, heard me, this altar would not be used for worship, which is what the other Israelites thought it was, right? They assumed it was going to be an altar of worship. But this would not be an altar of worship. Rather, it'd be, it would be used as what? A witness. It was going to be a witness between the tribes on the west side of the Jordan and the tribes on the east side. Uh, it was a reminder, right? Basically, they said, hey, let's build this altar to remind them when they come this way that we are a part of their people. We are a part of this nation. Um, just as the western Israelites made assumptions, now it seems like the eastern Israelites made assumptions. And again, when people make assumptions... What does that mean? It was a lack of what? Communication. How often do we do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do that as husbands and wives in the house. We do that as moms and dads and children in the house. How often does it happen at work, right? We just assume something about somebody else or somebody else just assumes about us. I mean, we could go on and on and on. To me, what I see in this passage of Scripture, and again, I'm just pulling, you know, what I see on top of the other things is that we have to communicate well. We have to communicate first, but we need to communicate well, right? We need to communicate clearly. And I see that that was part of the problem. Now, many, many biblical scholars, they actually agree that this all comes down to a lack of faith, a lack of faith at the very beginning on behalf of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This whole conversation, this whole circumstance that is taking place, it all goes back to when they got there, they settled for this land and said, ooh, this is land that's good for our cattle, we'll just stay here, right? Our cattle will be good and we will thrive in this land. But that's not the land that God wanted them to have. The land God wanted them to have was where? Across the Jordan. 
And, and so many theologians believe that's why we're at Joshua 22 having this conversation. Um, I love this because Dr. Wearsby goes on and he says this. He says, in choosing to live east of the Jordan, the two and a half tribes chose to separate themselves from their own people and from the land of God. Now, in the conversation, what were they afraid of? They were afraid that people would say, God separated them, right, with the Jordan. But Dr. Wearsby makes it very clear, don't forget, it was not God who separated. They chose to separate themselves. And so you got to be careful when you read that passage. God didn't put that Jordan there to separate them. God put that Jordan there for them to cross <laughs> and, and cross in faith and believe in the land he was giving them. And, and so again, Dr. Wearsby, he says this. He says, these Israelites put their cattle ahead of their children. These Israelites put their cattle ahead of their fellow Jews and then they blamed God and the other tribes for the problem they themselves created. That's pretty powerful. I looked at that passage of Scripture and I thought, you know what, I do that too. I do that too a lot in my life. I, I, I like to blame, right? I like to point, surely it's not my fault. Have you ever been there? Surely it's not my fault where I'm at. It's got to be somebody else's fault. Well, if somebody else didn't listen or somebody else didn't do right. And, and, and we've been playing the blame game since Genesis chapter 3, hadn't we? You know what I'm talking about, Adam, Right? God's walking with Adam in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. But he he said, you know what? I'll play hide and seek with Adam. I mean, I put that tree there that he's hiding behind, but I'll play this game. So God cries out, hey, Adam, where are you? And Adam thought, well, I better tell him since he did plant this tree. So Adam comes out behind that tree, and this is just me kind of telling it, but Adam comes out behind that tree and says, oh, I I was hiding. And God said, why were you hiding? And what did Adam say? Adam said, well... Uh, we ate from that tree you told us not to eat from. And he said, why would you do that? And he said, well, uh, the woman you gave me, God, made me do it. (laughs) It's funny, but haven't we been doing that ever since? I mean, mamas and daddies blame teachers on their children all the time. You don't want me going meddling there, do you? (laughs) See, I've been a teacher, so I can go there. Oh, mamas and daddies blame the teacher all the time for the reason their kid didn't get this right or get that right. You know, uh, teachers a lot of times <laughs> will blame mamas and daddies for not doing this with their children so they can't. Listen, we just play the blame game all the time. It happens at work, right? Something don't go right at work. It's not my fault. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, like Melissa said, it's Jeremy's fault. <laughs> He's not in here. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it, it, it's what we do, right? We blame somebody else. And ultimately, you know what we do sometimes, even as Christians? We get in this bad place and we start going, well, well God, didn't you hear me? God, aren't you going to help me? Right? If we're not careful, we'll start blaming God for where we are and our circumstances. And so uh, I love how Dr. Wearsby explained that. And I, I, I see it and I'm like, yeah, I, I can certainly see that. So you've got this... You've got the Israelites on the west living in the promised land. Um, They made assumptions. They wanted an explanation. 
You got this, the, the trans-Jordanic tribes, the two-and-a-half tribes, Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh. They come back and say, hey, listen, uh, we know what you think, but let us tell you the truth because God knows the truth. Uh, we're not going to worship at this altar. Uh, it's a replica, yes, of the altar that's already in, in Israel. Uh, we built it as a witness. The reason we built it as a witness, remember the word they used? Fear. Did you see that? We fear that later on, when your children grow up and our children grow up, they'll think about us and say, what do you have to do with the Lord? And they'll come in and do what? Wipe us out. Because what have they seen the people of God do? Wipe out anybody that gets in their way. And and so it was all about fear, right? It was all about fear. And I'm going to tell you where fear comes from. Fear comes from the devil. Fear comes from sin. That, that's one of the consequences of sin, living fearfully. I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about fear of man and fear of the worldly things. And, and so I love this because we do get to, to Joshua 22, verses 30 through 34. Now, I'm not going to read them all, but I do want to tell you what happens. So after uh, the western tribes of Israel... Listen to these Transjordanic tribes, the two and a half tribes. The tribes of Israel are pleased. They're pleased with the explanation. And then the Bible tells us that they separate peacefully. And so they separate peacefully. The tribes of the West go back home. They report to the assembly. Hey, here's what our brothers and sisters did. Uh, It's okay. Uh, So the tribes then go back to the East and they go back to their families. And so what we see... What we see when this happens is that the decision was made by man. Don't miss this. The decision to separate, right, even peacefully. The decision was made by man and it would have consequences. It would have consequences. So, listen, I'm glad it ends peacefully. But just because it ends peacefully doesn't mean that what God wanted happened. Because let's go back to the beginning. Do you know what God wanted for His people? He wanted them all to live where? In the promised land. Not nine and a half, not eight and a half, right? No, He wanted the 12 tribes of Israel together in Canaan, okay? So, so what happens here at the end of this chapter is that we see man make a decision. And yes, it ends with peace, and I'm, I'm glad for that. But I'm going to tell you, the decision they made would have consequences. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, if you keep reading the Bible, you'll know that the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan, they fall into much idolatry. And then there's this little place called Assyria, right? I say little, I'm being facetious. Um, <laughs> It's a little word, but it's a big people. Assyria comes in and wipes them out. I mean, devastates them, demolishes them. You want to know why? Because they were separated from God, separated from their family. It was their own choosing. And they fell into idolatry. They began to worship false gods. They began to intermarry with people that they were not supposed to marry. It it, it was a... A slow fall, but it was a devastating fall. And so, really, I came up with two points. I looked at Joshua 22, and I said, okay, what can I take from Joshua 22? What, what, can, what can I take that will help me today 
and start Louisiana in 2022? Well, number one, separation from the family of God will be devastating. People ask me all the time, um, Brother Jeff, do I have to go to church? I mean, where in the Bible does it tell me I have to go to church? Okay, Here, here's what I always tell people. Um, if you'll go to the New Testament, how many, times is Jesus, how, many, how many times does it say that Jesus died for the church? Right? Here's what happens. People associate church as a place. Do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to church? If you're looking at it as a place, I would say, you know what? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you do need to go to that place. Why? Because the people that are there. It's not because of that building or because that's you know, some sort of sacred ground, it's because it's God's people. The church is not Halley Hall. It's not the worship building. The church is the people of God. And I'm going to tell you something. You know how Satan, you know how Satan works in this world? It's the animal kingdom principle. He divides and conquers. He divides and conquers. Why do you think David said, Lord, give me an undivided heart? Because Satan knew if I can divide his heart, right? He won't give God what God requires. And I'm going to tell you, you know what God requires? All. He wants all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And so to me, separation from the family of God, it'll be devastating. Listen, the waters of the Jordan River, I showed you that map, the waters parted the land, but more devastating than that, the waters parted the people. And that's that's what happened. And again... We, we, can, we can keep moving forward in Scripture and you'll see what I'm talking about. The Assyrians and the idolatry. And it happens very quickly for the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. And I'm going to tell you, it even infiltrates, right? It even infiltrates the other tribes in the west side of the Jordan. The other thing I want you to see is that compromise, compromise, compromise. Can I say that word one more time? Compromise with the truth of God will lead to contamination. I'm just telling you. And, and, and I believe that's something that we do way, way too much today. We compromise. We compromise with the truth of God. And I'm going to tell you, it leads to contamination. What are you talking about, Jeff? Well, the Israelites did not fully obey God, and guess what? They suffered because of it. Because you're going to see, even the tribes in the west part, right, in the promised land, what did they fully fail to do? Does anybody know? Did they drive out every nation like God said? They made a treaty with one, right? They did not drive out all of this tribe or all of this tribe. Yes, God gave them the land, and the Bible says God gave them rest from war. But they still are going to suffer consequences for not fully obeying the word of God. You know what they did? They compromised. They compromised. And so time and time again, compromise, compromise. And I'm going to tell you what compromise does. It leads to sin. Was God wanting partial obedience? We've already talked about this in the book of Joshua. Was God wanting partial obedience? Nope. You know what partial obedience is? It's disobedience. (laughs) When it comes to God, partial obedience is disobedience. Right? He does not grade on a curve. You either obey or you don't. And that's what compromise is. When you compromise the word of God, you are opening the door 
for contamination. And when I say contamination, I'm, I'm, it's, it's sin. It's sin. And that's what we see. Again, I'm glad that, that, that chapter 22 ends um, with the tribes at peace and explanations have been made and understanding has, has come to. But again, um, it's almost like a fool's gold, right? It shines, it's real pretty on the outside, but when it gets broken open, guess what? It, it don't last. Man's peace will never last. God's peace will. So what we see right here is we see peace between man, but that doesn't mean it's the peace of God. And I want us to be very careful in that, okay? So, um, again, you know, we're, we're getting right here to the tail end. I've got one more sermon on the book of Joshua. We're going to fin- uh, finish with Joshua's final words and uh, Joshua's death. Um, but if, if you know the Scriptures, from here they go into um, <laughs> the Judges, and, and you know how that works out for Israel. Um, and then from the judges, guess where it goes? The kings. And how do you think that goes for Israel? Yeah. Were there more good kings or more bad kings? Yeah. Guess what? Separation causes devastation. Compromise causes what? Contamination. And we can see it in Israel. And so why don't we look and see what happened with Israel and say, okay, how can I, right? How can I live the way God wants me to live so that I don't fall into these sinkholes, you know, that Israel fell in? Uh, and again, it all comes down to trusting God. It, it does. It all comes down to trusting God. Do I fully trust God? Um, do I believe what God says? Do I believe in the promises no matter what the circumstances in the world shows me? So, uh,